Uh, this is the second Sunday in Advent. Uh, last week, uh, John Larson, our associate pastor, looked at Isaiah chapter 9. And, and today we see hundreds of years later the fulfillment of what was said to Isaiah. Now, to understand Luke, as we look at our text, just, just know this. Uh, Luke was a historian. He was a physician. Uh, he was a man who believed uh, in careful uh, putting down of things. He's not only the writer of Luke, but he's also the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, but also the book of Acts. And so the reason I say that is uh, maybe you're here today and, and you're here during the Christmas holiday or Advent season, so you come to hear the Advent uh, uh, sermons. But we still kind of a little bit think of this, uh, this story in terms of fable or, or fairy tale rather than it being true history. And if it's true history, it's true for us today. Christ is risen, this babe born 2,000 years ago, forever both God and man for those who are sinners who come to Christ. And so with that in mind, let's, let's read this account. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. The house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, apart from your spirit, it is impossible for us to, to, to be mesmerized by the realities of this text. But Father, I pray for your spirit's presence today in every person here, whether they are believers or not. 
that they would see that you have broken into this world and were broken by this world so that we might have hope in a world that we acknowledge is very broken. Father, I pray for those who are struggling with doubt or maybe even bitterness or anger this morning that they would see Jesus Christ. And Father, for us who have forgotten the fragrance of the gospel, I, I pray once again the sweet aroma of what you've done for us uh, would begin to blow again and that we would fall down and worship you this morning. And we ask these things in your name and for your sake. Amen. I read a very uh, interesting article this past week. And it was about why we find ourselves weary. And why we find ourselves tired. And the thing that was interesting about this, this uh, article was he was actually addressing it uh, to ministers. For he said that this is particularly a, a problem with those who are in ministry. And then he gave some statistics. And, and again, I, I did not verify his statistics. I'm, I'm, I don't think he would lie about this. But it's hard for me to believe the statistics that he gave. He said that 50% of ministers leave the ministry in the first five years of ministry. And then he said 50% of those who are presently in ministry around the world have thought, thought, at least in America, have thought about leaving the ministry in the last 30 days. And then what was most astounding to me was this statistic that he said only one in ten who begin the ministry uh, end in the ministry. Now the, the point of his, of his article was that what ministers need and what we as believers need and what maybe you need is not more vacation, not more rest and relaxation, but wholeness, that we're complete. He said that the reason that we are so weary and the reason that we're so torn, especially when we're thinking about ministering to other people, is because when we look at at our own lives, we understand that there is a lack of integrity. And by the way, the word integrity means they all fit together. You know, when you talk about a structure lacking integrity, it means there's a crack in it. It means it's not trustworthy. And so we look at ourselves. Maybe you've been a Christian for a couple of years and, and you go, hey, listen, I really, I really did try. I really did try to be a good Christian. I've been a Christian for 30 years and I really, I want to grasp this, but you know, my life is just fragmented. And the end result of that is that there's this loss of energy. There's this loss of sense of, of, a, of an energy that comes from a power that the gospel intends to bring into our lives. And so a person who has what the Bible calls an undivided heart, it's the word that Jesus uses in in, in, um, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 where he talks about the pure in heart. He's not talking about morally pure. He's talking about someone who's grasped the gospel and their heart is wrapped around this person and work of Christ 
and a firm belief that by faith that you're resting in what he has done. And it brings energy into a world that is unbelievably broken. You got to get up and feed the kids and get them off to school. And then you go over here, got to figure out how you're going to pay for their school. And then you got to work on through how not to argue with each other about how you're going to pay for school. And then on top of that, you'll have downtown ministries uh, or you'll have the, the church saying, hey, listen, we need together, we need to work together to build the kingdom of God. And you go, man, why do I want to go to church? Because I just know that I'm broken and, and the last thing I need to hear is what I need to be doing. So what makes us whole? Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, a lot of you are complaining. Oh, I'm a Christ, Christian or non-Christian. The reason that you're so weary, that life is so chaotic for you, is because there is not this wholeness and completion. So what makes one whole? How can we bear up when we know that down deep that we don't have integrity, required to live at peace with ourselves and with each other? Let me tell you how it doesn't come through religion. It's not through our efforts. It's not through the burden of, well, here's what God's word says. This is what the tradition of my family says. No, that just bears you down more. Because the law was never intended to bring wholeness. Actually, the law was actually given to, to, to be upon your backs to show you that there is no hope in the law. On the other hand, there are you, those of you who are here today say, hey, listen, man, you have no idea what I've been through. I've, been, I've seen the real world. And you know what? I don't believe in all that law stuff. And so you live your life only 10 years later to find out that you've lost all energy yourself because, you see, you lived according to your own law, but it bucks up against reality. And so your marriage is in trouble. Your finances are in trouble. You're in trouble. Religion is invented by man because we're insecure, right? Down deep, we feel insecure. So the Pharisees were always going, well, what about the Sabbath day? And we'll come to that in a moment. And of course, Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And so, we, so what, here's what we do, because down deep, we're insecure because we know something's not right with us. And if you don't, you need to listen to the sermon. You need to be convicted that you need to hear the gospel story of Christmas. And so what we do is we create these little laws that we can, that make some standards that we can put out there that somehow we can live up to that acknowledges that our lives have meaning and that we have value. But unwittingly, what they do is they just drive us into greater despair. Or the more you deny the fact that you have your own system of thinking and what's right and wrong for you, that even that drives you to despair. Some might ask, well, didn't God give his law? Isn't the law a good thing? And on the one hand, I want to say, of course it is. It's God's law. But not if that's what you're seeking to bear, to, to get rid of your burden. Because the end of the law, the purpose of the law, is to absolutely show you you have no integrity. 
It is to show you that you're not what you're supposed to be. And Jesus says, I came into the world because I am the end of the law. It's like this roadway that's going out and there's a bridge that's out at the end, but it leads you to fall right into the ocean of Christ's love and mercy. And until you get that, you'll never have energy. You'll either be self-righteous, burdening everybody else, or you'll be in despair. But you will not know the joy of what this text is saying for us, for what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The law was not given to help us perform better. It was given to increase the uneasiness that's there. It was increased to, 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 to create the burden that makes us so weary that we come to Christ for rest, that makes us so thirsty that we come to Christ for drink, that makes us so hungry that we come to Him to feed upon, and it actually kills us so that we might come to Him for life. And that's exactly the announcement that Gabriel is making. If you notice, the title of my sermon was The End of Religion. Christ has come to end religion. And so here's what our text is going to teach us. That the end of religion is initiated by God the Father. It's initiated by Him. The end of religion is through Jesus Christ, the person and work of Christ. And then carefully listen to this last point. That the end of religion is the beginning of life in the Holy Spirit. Life in the Spirit. The first thing to see is this, is that the end of religion is initiated by God. God came to put religion to an end. So it might be about a person. Where do we see this in our text? Well, here's Mary. I don't know what she was doing that day. She might have been out in the field. But if you're like a 14-year-old girl or you're a 15-year-old girl, that's about how old she was. And she was probably excited about her wedding. She was betrothed to be married to Joseph. And uh, like any bride-to-be, I probably thoughts about that. This is how I'm going to live my life. And, you know, she signs her name, whatever Joseph's last name was. You know, put it on the little book there. And... Uh, And God shows up. God breaks into space and time because he told Daniel some hundreds of years earlier, this same Gabriel, that the Ancient of Days would come. Son of God, who was in the furnace with Daniel. And so Gabriel has now come years later to talk to, to Mary and to give her this greeting in the name of the Lord See, God's always taking initiative. Mary wasn't looking for God. Mary's not like, hey can, I, hey, can I sign up for being the mother of God? And I'll tell you this, when God enters into your life and he shows up, it rocks your world. And we'll talk about that later. But God comes. It says in the sixth month that he came. Now let me tell you what we were doing years before that, thousands of years before that whether through the thousands of cultures, uh, we were creating thousands of rules and laws to get our way, as it were, back to God. 
And why? Because somehow we know (coughs) that if there's a God in some way, we need to figure out what it is to get back to Him. And that's what a lot of you are doing. I'm telling you, there are people who are here who are as lost as they can be. And you've grown up in church all your life. And it's, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, but when it gets right down to it, it's, I need to believe harder, I need to pray more, I need to have more faith, or whatever. And so you don't go to church that much anymore because you don't want to be beat up. But you're the one who's creating the rules. But go to any culture, and what you'll discover are these traditions among the Greeks and the traditions among the Italians. And oh my word, do Southerners have traditions? Like when I date a girl, my daddy would say, so what's her last name? Right? You know, what family is she part of? Paul puts it this way. And what all the, what we do to initiate, to try to figure out all the rules so that we can somehow have some freedom and peace in our lives, Paul says this in Romans 1 when he's asking the question, what about those people who've never heard? You ever wondered that question? What about those people who've never heard about Jesus? Well, the verse before this, he says, oh, yes, they have, just like you have if you're not a believer. You know who God is. But he says this, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. In claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them over to do what they wanted to do. He gave them up to their lusts of their heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. He was blessed forever. Amen. You see, that's what religion does. It just creates more burdens and we, and we get more skewed and we get more weird because we're looking inward rather than outward. But the initiation of God in the gospel here really began all the way back in the garden. Uh, yeah, friends, I, I got to tell you, you, you need to study this out at some point. But all of history is hinging on one of two men, Adam the first or Jesus Christ, who's the son of God, the second Adam. The man created in the dust and the man who comes down from heaven conceived in the womb of the mother Mary. Your whole destiny is attached to one of these two men. And the Bible teaches that if Adam, if you're united to Adam, the Bible's very clear that the reason everything screwed up is because of their sin. That one sin. And all, the only law God gave was one in the Old Testament. Would you all think that's reasonable? He just gave one. So that we might be reminded who is the creator and who is the creature. And friends, we're creatures. And God is the creator. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't find freedom. They found bondage. And their relationship with God, their father, was broken. Their relationship with husband and wife was broken. They're naked. They're ashamed. They're covering up with fig leaves. And they're running away. And man's been running ever since. But you see, God pursues them, doesn't he? They're running. He's pursuing. And they're covering themselves. And they never really fess up to say, I have sinned against you. 
They made excuses. So God, you know, he, he's, the first thing He wants to do to get you to get rid of religion is to confront you with your sin. Your deceit and your selfishness. Let me tell you why your spouse is not that happy most of the time. You. And let me tell the other spouse. The reason your spouse, his or she's not happy is because of you. Because we tend not to bring life and freedom to one of each other. We bring the rules of the house. You're supposed to take out the trash. You're supposed to, why didn't you pick up the cream? I put that down on that list. And there's no vulnerability. There's no love and joy and peace. And God puts his finger on you and he says, you're a sinner. But not only does he do that, that's his initiative. Listen, if God's convicting you of your sin, hey, that's a great sign that you're not a reprobate. It's a great sign that he cares about you. But not only does he confront with sin, but he also promises in the very beginning a Messiah. that there would be a second Adam. And just as sin entered the world through one man, righteousness and grace and peace and mercy would come through another man, and it's this man that we read about in our text. This man, the God-man, who's raised from the dead and who is the king of the universe, whether we know it or not. And so that's the first thing that we need to see is that it is God who takes the initiative. You know, I, I tell you how we screw up religion. I screw up the gospel. The, the Jews, and certainly the Pharisees screwed it up, here's on the, on the Sabbath day. And they want to make sure, because they're insecure, that we keep the Sabbath day. And there's a guy with a shriveled hand. And Jesus says, what's better uh, to, 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 to heal this man or to leave him as he is? And because of the law and the misunderstanding of the law, those men had shriveled hearts. But Jesus Christ says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And he heals him. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? You need rest? You need Sabbath rest? I will tell you where you'll find that rest. It's not in denying and being cynical about who Jesus Christ is. And it's not in debating all the time whether he's really good. He's proved his goodness. Real freedom is when you just say, Lord, would you please help me, a sinner? The second thing to see from our text is this, that the end of religion is not only initiated by God the Father. The end of religion religion is through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the God-man. Very clear in our text. Where do we see this? Notice what he says in verse 29. But, but Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, guys, let me tell you, here's where it's really difficult that you're going to start sliding into, oh, the Christmas story. Yes, Jesus is God. Now, it's my responsibility for us to start being mesmerized by that. 
You think Mary just kind of looked at this and went, oh yeah, okay, great. What does our text say in verse 29 about Mary? She was greatly troubled. I mean, what can this mean? How can this be? She has a lot of questions. You know, for some of you, you have a hard time believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And maybe go, well, you know, I don't think about that much, and I don't know if he's the Son of God or not, but, but I, you know, I believe he's a great teacher and I need to follow his rules. That's what my wife did before she came to Christ. She, she grew up very liberal, very liberal church that didn't preach the gospel. And so all her girlfriends were sleeping around and doing drugs and all that stuff. She thought, well, I don't really want to do that, but I have no reason not to do that. So what would be the basis? What would be the thing that would like make me whole and complete? So she thought, well, you know, I'm an American. Maybe we'll read about Jesus. And so she began to read about Jesus Christ, right? And so you start trying to apply the teachings of Jesus to your life. Now you might not say you're doing that. But maybe you are. But listen to what uh, N.T. Wright says about those who think Jesus is a, is, is a great teacher. He says, uh, how, can, how can you live with a terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human? That the fire has become flesh? That life itself became life? And walked in our midst. Christianity, Christianity either means that, that or it means nothing. It is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of the world. Or it is a sham. A nonsense. A bit of deceitful play acting. Most of all, unable to cope with saying either of those things. We condemn ourselves to live in a shallow world between. You never make up your mind. But what N.T. Wright is trying to say uh, here in our text is if we begin to grasp that the infinite became finite, uh, that he who was unbreakable became breakable. And we're not somewhat every now and then mesmerized by the reality of that for us. Then he says, you live in a shadow world. And that we really find ourselves to be shallow people. Because we don't go one way or the other. Is that what Christmas means to you? Oh, Jesus Christ, Son of God, born Virgin Mary, and uh, we're going to do lessons and carols tonight. No, we need to think this thing through the way Mary did. And we'll see this in a moment. We learn who he is. He's the Son of God. But notice not only that that He is the Savior of mankind. He's the Son of God. That's who He is, the eternal God, but He's also the Savior of mankind. Where do we see that? God, uh, Gabriel said, you're not going to name this child. Now, why, why, you know, parents name children, right? You know why they name children? It's because uh, you're an authority over them. You're the one who tells them, hey, I gave you your name, you go make up your bed, okay? I gave you your name. Bob. 
But Mary and Joseph, they can't even name the child. Why? Because his father is God Almighty. And the father's naming him. And you know what he names him? Savior. And how does he become your Savior? The Holy Spirit comes upon the mother Mary, a virgin. And this great mystery happened 2,000 years ago in a way that we can't understand, but she's begotten of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus is fully God and that he is fully man. Let me tell you what this means. Is that Christianity is the only religion that teaches that God is willing to become vulnerable. Think about it. The creator is in the womb. Almighty God in the womb. To take upon himself a human nature, a human conscience, and all the faculties, a human soul, that he's fully God and he's fully man. Because let me tell you what it takes to be in relationships with each other. Vulnerability. Right? You get sideways with somebody and nobody's going to budge because of your pride, because of your arrogance, or because you think you're right. Let me tell you something. You think that God Almighty doesn't have a case against us. But if somebody's going to get their relationship back together, it's going to be one of the persons is going to be, go, hey, look, I don't want to be, you know, hey, honey, I'm sorry. And then all of a sudden it begins to break down the barriers, doesn't it? Somebody humbles themselves enough because the relationship is more important than being right. The unbreakable became breakable. It's mesmerizing. One last thing. So the end of religion is initiated by God the Father. The end of religion is through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, But this is a very important point. The end of religion is the beginning of life in the Holy Spirit. Not the life of proposition. Not the life of, oh yes, I believe these things about Jesus Christ. Not the life of uh, uh, opposition. Or the life of legalism. It is the life of life. Where do we see that? Well, notice what we see in verse 34. Uh, Mary said to the angel, How can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age was also conceived, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. And what does he say there, guys? Nothing is impossible with God. You see, because Mary didn't get herself pregnant. She was simply a vessel. God the Father takes the initiative through Jesus Christ, His Son, and the Holy Spirit comes. And if you look through the Scripture, it is amazing to see the place the Holy Spirit is playing and bringing life. Even the Holy Spirit is guiding the Lord Jesus in His humanity. He's baptized. When He's baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus. You see, if Christmas has not moved you, if you haven't meditated upon the the work of God and what God is doing in this great mystery, 
then really when it gets right down to it, you have to ask the question, has life been imparted to me by the Spirit? So what does it look like, and I close on this, what does it look like in my life when the end of religion is placed with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does that look like? And it's right here in our text, and, and three brief things. One is, it starts with doubt. Uh, there's two kind of doubts. Uh, there's closed-minded doubt, somebody said, and there's an open-minded doubt. The closed-minded doubt was Zechariah. Remember, Gabriel came to Zechariah, and he had doubts. He's like, prove this. How, how will we know this? And some of you have closed-minded doubt. You say, well, I don't know really if I believe that or not. And the reason you have these doubts is because you want to live your own life. Because you don't want to think about this. Because if these things are true, as we'll see, they must seep into our lives. But then there's the other kind of open-mindedness. And, and Mary's asking it, right? She says this. And Mary said to the angel, uh, you know, how, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. It is a doubt that leads to an openness that says, you know, I don't know how this is going to happen. But you know what? I know that you're the living and true God. Augustine said that Doubt leads to certainty, and certainty to doubt. The secondly, the true work of the Holy Spirit is when we realize that God is able to do the impossible. This uh, in January, I'm speaking to, to y'all. Pray for me. I'm speaking to the what we call the Reform Youth Movement. I'm speaking to the leaders around the country about some topic, and I chose the topic. Of faith. Because sometimes in our tradition we hear a lot about justification. We hear about a, lot, a lot about sanctification. We hear a lot about justification. But none of those things are appropriated if it's not faith looking to Christ. And so we talk about justification by faith. But are we living by faith where we see God do the impossible? I've seen it. This building here is the impossible. Having the liquor store property down here. There used to be a liquor store for y'all that want to know. We weren't selling liquor, but we bought the liquor. Oh, we didn't buy the liquor. Well, actually we did, but we, you know, gave it to the right authorities. I'm telling you, this is not because we're smart. It is because God wants to do a great thing in your life this morning. And he gave us this place. Do you believe that God can do the impossible? He can. And the most impossible thing he can do is take wretched sinners and make them alive and new. Take them out from the curse of the law and bring them into life in Jesus Christ. Do you have life? Do you have the energy to go, you know what, Lord? I don't know why my life is the way... I don't know why I'm going bankrupt. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why my marriage is a struggle. I don't know, but I know this. I know that with you, all things are possible because God Almighty has come in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? And then finally, let me how you know when it comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, and you're not just a Christmas Christian or a once a week Christian. Some of you are once a week Christians. You come every Sunday. It's not just Christmas and Easter. He says this, verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me 
according to your word. It's complete submission. For God to do whatever he would want to do. Now let me ask you something. You little girls are 15 years old. I want you to think about this. Do you think she had a challenge the rest of her life? Because for the rest of her life, she understood right then and there. And said, hey, listen, I know I'm pregnant, but the father's not Joseph, it's God. Is that what you... Oh, yeah, right. Okay, now we really know you're crazy. That's what it meant for Mary. And she thought about that. But you know what? She said, I'm the Lord's servant. For the sake of my own soul, I will bear the Savior for those who had come to Christ. You know, a lot of times we think about submitting. We think, well, if I submit my life to the Lord, uh, you know, I won't go bankrupt. I'll be able to pay my taxes. Uh, my marriage will get straightened out. I'll get into the school I want to get into. And guys, that is just religion. That is using God. But to submit to Christ and say, I don't know where this has taken me. But you became vulnerable for me. I will become vulnerable for you. Isn't that what it means? It's not my life. It's your life. Lord, you saved me. You've done, you shed your blood, not for them, but for me. Look what God did to get near to us. What will you do to get near to him? Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We confess to you that we're slow of heart. And Father, there may be those who are dead of heart. They've never heard the gospel. I pray that today they might hear Christ saying, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for my, my burden is light and my, yoke is, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Would you convert people this, this morning? And those who, Lord, have, have missed the, the fragrance of the gospel, Lord, I pray that the, the perfumes of Christ and his mercy and love and his grace would waft into their nose. And uh, Lord, I pray that you bless our time as we come to the Lord's table. And we ask it in your name. Amen.